A couple of weeks ago, Susan and I uh, had the privilege of going to the Southern Baptist Convention. And in the weeks leading up to that, we, we kind of decided to do that a little bit uh, late in the game. And so uh, we had some logistical stuff to take care of. And Susan said she would take care of getting the kids placed if I took care of getting us placed. And so I had to get the plane ticket and the hotel and the car rental, basically. We were, it was in Baltimore. We knew we were flying to Baltimore. And then we were going to uh, be able to spend an afternoon in Washington. So we needed a car. And then we needed a place to stay. And so uh, as the weeks led up to it, I, I started looking around for deals and things that would, would happen. And I uh, found a plane reservation real quickly that fit and was a good deal. And we were able to book that and uh, ended up doing a, a deal for a hotel room and got all that squared away. But I couldn't get the car nailed down. And so I started using uh, the Priceline site. Anybody know what Priceline is? You know, William Shatner, negotiator, the Big Bang Girl girl, uh, all that. Uh, started doing that. And I kept putting on Priceline, they have this thing where you can name your price. And so you put on, I will pay this much for a car for that week. And what I discovered quickly is I did not want to pay anywhere near what they wanted me to pay. And so I would put, a, I mean, literally, I would get emails like this. I would put in a dollar amount. I'll pay this much for this kind of vehicle for the week. And I would get an email back that said they are not going to accept that. In fact, I would, when I would push send, that's what I want to bid. It would come back to me on the next screen and say to me, that has no chance. Don't you want to readjust? No, I want to try this. I mean, negotiator here, I, I, this is going to work. So after doing that for a week and a half every day, because you have to wait 24 hours to do it again, I get an email from them and it says, you kept putting in this price, but we have a deal from a particular automaker on this kind of vehicle if you want to take it today. And it was cheaper than what I've been putting in. And so, you know, Susan and I are sensible people. When you have four kids, you have to be sensible people. So we have minivan and a car that can take everybody. And so we're not looking for anything extravagant. I see the deal, the car they list as a possible, that'll be fine. And so we click on it. So I set it up and we get to Baltimore, everything's good. And we, we go through the Alamo rental company. And after I sign away three of my kids, if somebody, you know, dings the door at the parking lot, you know, all those papers you have to sign and refuse insurance for 20 minutes. I know I don't need super premium package insurance. I have insurance. After doing that for a while, we get out there. And if you've rented a car lately, you know, they walk out there and they say, pick a car from this row. Well, we start to walk out, we hand our papers to the lady, and she says, well, you don't need to go out there. Your cars are all right up here, and you can pick out any car on this row. So as soon as I turn around, and the first car I see is a red Mustang convertible. The next car right next to it is a black Mustang. I look over here to this side, there are two or three other vehicles, and Susan and I sit there and just look at each other for a minute. And, I, you know, we think to ourselves, all right, we're in here for the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, if I start sending Instagram pictures out of her and I cruising around with the top down, I'm going to answer some questions when I get back to church, all right? And so we go with the sensible car. We're sensible people. It's the Chrysler 300, fully black. It looks like we are official part of a government agency. 
So we pick that car and we start driving. Now we get in the car and, you know, I'm being good. I'm driving straight to the lane. I check out with the lady. She's asking us where we're going, if we need toll and all that kind of stuff. And we're fine. And we get out. And you know what I start doing immediately when we get on the road. I start figuring out what all this stuff is around me, right? I mean, it's got a panel there. It's, it looks like I'm in the cockpit. It's got buttons here and there, and things are coming up on the screen. And, and I'm doing, I'm looking, and Susan is, keep your eyes, we don't know where we're going, keep your eyes, but i got to keep your eyes on the road, right? So we make it into Washington. We have a great afternoon, and as we're leaving, uh, I didn't have any time to really play with the gadgets, which was upsetting to me about the car. As we're leaving, we say, we've got to stop and get us something to drink. We've been walking around the National Mall for two and a half hours. It's 95 degrees out here. We've got to get something to drink. So we pull into McDonald's to get their large dollar drinks. And there happens to be a line which gives me time to play with all the buttons. And I started discovering this is the most amazing vehicle that has ever been created. First of all, it has a heated steering wheel. Now, it's 95 degrees outside, and I'm still thinking, I may need to try this thing out, right? I need to heat up the steering wheel. Then I look at, it says climate control and other things, so I click on it, screen comes up. Anybody ever had heated seats in a vehicle? Yeah, that's amazing, right? Can all God's people that have those say amazing, amazing, right? This car had vented seats, which meant air-conditioned seats. I did not know such a thing existed. But when you've been walking around the National Mall for two and a half hours in 95 degree, suddenly that is a necessity in a vehicle. So I turn it on. So we, I'm playing with all the gadgets, and we get to the drive-thru. I order my large diet, Dr. Pepper, so we can get our large sweet tea. we got to get our cup holders out. And, of course, this is a fancy car, so there's no way to use the cup. I mean, the cup holders aren't apparent. You have to find them. They're hidden in a compartment. You slide the compartment back. I slide my drink down in there. And as I'm sliding my drink down in there, I notice a button next to the cup holder. It has climate-controlled cup holders so i'm thinking this so i push it to cool because it's got a you know we got an ice drink in there you can do heat or cool and i think this thing can't can really work so i pull my drink out after a second i put my hand it is ice cold in the cup holder and i think it this is the greatest invention right so we spent a week with our Chrysler 300 with climate-controlled cup holders, and I get home to my van. What is this? What have I got here? This is ridiculous, all right? I mean, I've got heated seats. I don't need heated seats. It's 100 degrees outside. I need the vented seats. All right, hold on to that for a minute. We're in a series called Age of Kings, all right? Started it last week with the forgotten king. That story will make sense in a minute, all right? Who did we talk about last week? Rehoboam. Some of you remember. There you go. You don't, he's not forgotten, right? Rehoboam, fourth king of Israel. He was the king that the Israel was together. David, Solomon had brought it together. He comes on the scene, doesn't listen to God's advice, doesn't listen to the advice of the esteemed people that had been advising his dad, follows his own way, and eventually splits the kingdom in two. In fact, what we discovered last week was that the reason that Rehoboam failed is because he did not set his heart on the Lord. The, the verse said that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord because he did not set his heart to seek 
the Lord. And the kind of the, the overarching thing we said last week was this. That a heart that is not deliberately set on seeking the Lord will settle somewhere else. And that could be the overarching thing of this entire series. We're going to look at king after king. And there were good kings. And the good kings deliberately set their heart on the Lord. Then there are evil kings. And evil kings did not deliberately set their heart on the Lord. And as a result, they settled for a lot of other things. Today, we're going to look at a king that excelled. Top notch. Top of the class. Considered the best at what he did. In fact, the scripture that introduces him says, there was no king of Israel that was ever like him before he came in this way. His name is Ahab. Anybody know who Ahab is? He is the worst king in the history of Israel to the point he was a king. The worst. Now, in case you think, well, how bad was he? Well, he was bad. Like, he comes into office as king and he thinks, we, this whole thing about worshiping God alone, let's get rid of that. Let's go build a temple to Baal, another god. Let's build a pole to another god, Asherah. And let's all start worshiping these different gods. And maybe by worshiping all these different gods, it'll make our country more successful. And the prophets will come to him and worry about stuff. He goes, I don't care about that. That's not going to happen. I don't believe that. He gets paranoid about his reign and about his sons. And so just to prove a point, he kills his oldest son and his youngest son. Now, now here's the amazing thing about Ahab. He was the worst king up until that point that the nation of Israel had ever seen. And he out kicked his coverage on how bad his wife was. Anybody know his wife's name? Jezebel. Now, even if you don't know Jezebel, let me tell you the legacy of Jezebel. The legacy of Jezebel is you haven't been to any cute little girl showers lately where the baby was going to be named Jezebel. Because that name means evil. It says in Scripture that he was the worst king that had ever been born. And then he married the worst woman. And they made a bad team. And they started this legacy of persecuting God's people, of not doing what God intended. And they took the country in a direction that it shouldn't go. But here's what's interesting. We're going to talk today about one of those stories where the two of them were involved in doing what God didn't want them to do. But here's the interesting thing to me. In in spite of all the killings and the Baal worship and the wrong worship and the not listening to prophets, there's one incident that sends God over the edge. And he says to Ahab and Jezebel, I'm done. I've had it. I've had enough with you. And the one incident that he does, the one thing that puts God over the edge, the one thing that Ahab does to create this kind of atmosphere where God says, you're done. In fact, God will say to him, I am done with you. I am done with your wife. I am done with your family. Dogs are going to lick your blood off of the ground. Your wife is going to be eaten by dogs and I am going to wipe your family off the face of the earth. And the event that leads to God saying that comes from a temptation that you and I struggle with daily. 
you're going to read the story of Ahab and you go, I would never do that. I, I would never be like Ahab. I would never be like Jezebel. The truth is, I hope that you are not like them in all the actions they do. But I can tell you this, in the story we're going to talk about today, you will be tempted to follow a path that is similar to Ahab if you're not careful. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. If you don't, most of this is going to be on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now let me just say something about that verse real quickly. Just a couple of things for you to understand. Um, Ahab was not from Jezreel. He was king of Samaria, of the northern kingdom. And so whatever palace he's in in Jezreel is not his main palace. This would be his summer or winter palace. This is his vacation home. This is his um, place where he goes to get away. In presidential terms today, this is like Camp David. This is where he's going. And he has this guy living next to him named Naboth. In verse 2 it tells us this. Ahab said to Naboth, I need your vineyard. I really need a vegetable garden. And your vineyard's right next to my house. It is the perfect spot for a vegetable garden. And I want it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another vineyard that's better somewhere else. Or I'm going to pay you more than fair value for this land. Those are my options. Now, let me just stop there for a minute before we kind of move forward. Some of you know the rest of this story. Some of you don't. Some of you are reading ahead as I'm talking. All right. If you know the end of it, if you know the rest of it, try to forget that for a moment. Because what we have here is a reasonable request. He's the king. It's his kingdom. He sees a vineyard. He would like to use it. He needs a place for a vegetable garden. I mean, this is prime importance here. By the way, we're not talking about like a little row of peas you've gotten out in the backyard. We're talking about a major garden here to feed the palace. And he says, listen, I need the land. I'll pay you for it. I'll give you better vineyard. I mean, it seems like a reasonable request, right? Are you here? All right. There's nothing wrong about that. In fact... All of us at times will be in places that I I think my understanding is that Ahab's just kind of out one day. He's walking around the grounds. He's up on his roof or something. He looks over. He goes, wow, we've been looking for a place for a vegetable garden. That looks like the perfect place. I I could use that. And he's talking to his advisors. Look, we could put here, there. Well, what would you do? Well, you do that. That's it. We got to get that land. Well, let's go talk to the guy. It's not a bad thing. He he has this want. And and sometimes in our lives, wants just kind of walk in our door. We don't mean for them to. We just realize there's something better out there, right? Like when you get in a car that has climate-controlled cup holders. Or you sit next to somebody and you're, I mean, just for instance, your iPhone screen is cracked and they've got a pristine, brand-new-looking phone next to you. Or you hear about a business deal that one of your friends just pulled off and you realize that it's going to be great for their career. There's something out there for retirement. And you see, and man, I'd love to have that house for retirement. Or there's a relationship that you wish was going to another level or you wish would start. Or 
your family and, and you're in a home, but you realize that kids are getting ready to start school. We've got to find a better school district. I wish we could move over here so we wouldn't have to worry about all that stuff. You're in a position at work and the position above you comes open and wow, it just happens. I mean, it, it happens in the most mundane ways. You, you walk into Sam's and you're walking through Sam's and it's one of those days where they got the sample stuff out. Anybody ever made a meal lunch at Sam's Samples? Yeah, amen. That's all, all us cheapskates here. Amen. Kids, we're going to lunch today. Where are we going? Sam's. Oh, yeah, you like the store. Yeah, that's where we're going. All right. And you walk through and you take a sample or something or you see somebody, you know, they got people doing demonstration like, I never knew that existed. Now I got to have one of those. Right. I want it. You're a business meeting and you're typing away on your laptop and the guy next to you doing the presentation pulls out a brand new one. And you see him doing stuff that yours won't even do. And you think, ah, it'd be nice to have that. Or you're at the park with your kids and. Up walks a mom with the brand new travel system that does everything you need that thing to do. And it rocks the baby to sleep while you're walking, you know. Suddenly yours is inadequate. You're a job and you love your job and never had a problem with your job. But suddenly you hear about another job that's open. Another job that's open has got a bigger office with a window to the outside and the pay's better and the benefits are a little bit better. And suddenly the job that you've loved for five years becomes that terrible job that I've got and I'm stuck in. Your family has expanded from where it was when you originally bought the house. You go to a friend's house for a play date and man, there's a lot of room here. Boy, it'd be nice to have. Those extra rooms and that. Your family that's been fine, just husband and wife, no issues, no problems. And then one of your friends has a baby and you hold that baby for the first time and you think, oh, I didn't realize there was a want here, but it's there. Here's the truth. We can't stop those kind of wants from flying past our life. They're going to happen. The problem is when the want becomes the want. No longer do I just, I just I'd be nice to have. It's I really have got to have that. In fact, we don't stretch it beyond just want. We take it to I, I don't just want that. I need that. And when want becomes need, we are dangerously close to. To a good old fashioned word that we don't use anymore. Now it's a word that's been used for a long time. It's a good old fashioned Bible word. In fact, it's in that top ten list back in the Old Testament that God gives about how we ought to live. It's the last one. It's the word coveting. Anybody use that word in a sentence this week? This is so far off our radar, we don't even gossip about this anymore. You are not going to believe that so-and-so is coveting. We need to pray for them. I have, sir, I've just seen that coveting has got a hold of their lives. They're not controlling it anymore. We don't even have a... You know, I tried to think of a word in our culture, in our language, that would convey what coveting is. Coveting is. I can't even say it today. Coveting is. And we don't even have a word that expresses it well. And here's what's interesting to me, and I, I'm going to venture off into some difficult territory here, right? Part of the reason is because in our American culture, we have built a culture of coveting. Now, we, 
don't call it that, obviously, because that would make us think of the Ten Commandments. But we talk about needing the next thing, the new thing, the improved thing, uh, upgraded thing, the, the, uh, what's next for us. And we're always thinking about what's next. And we got people telling us all the time about the stuff we need and how our stuff's not good anymore and how things need to be better. And we talk about things need to be replaced. And our lives are constantly on the search for newer, better, improved. And we, we have admin talking about all that we need in order to be fulfilled in life. And we even have this thing called the American dream that basically says you ought to have a better life than you do now. And you ought to strive for that better life. And you ought to look for that better life. And whatever it is out there that you want, just go get it. Work hard enough. Do enough. Go after it enough. And you'll get it. And when you get it, we'll tell you, great, you deserve that. If we have people that don't think that way, we talk about them and go, whew, they just have no drive. They have no ambition. They are satisfied just to stay how they are. In our culture, we have made coveting a value. We don't call it that. We call it ambition or desire or want to. But we have taken sin and we've made it a value. Bigger house, bigger car, better place, better schools. We need more, better, higher improved. Now, here's the problem with that. Is as much as we want to value it and bring it up, it's still in the top 10 that God put of things we're not supposed to do. Right? Some of you look shell-shocked here, right? Here's what's unique about it in that list is that a lot of those things are external things, but coveting is internal. I mean, you kind of know it if you murdered somebody. If you commit adultery, probably aware of that. Coveting, though, is internal. In fact, there were lots of kind of moral codes from ancient times around the time that the Ten Commandments were given by God to Moses. And here's what's interesting is none of them have anything about coveting in them. In fact, Scripture will show us over and over again that coveting can become the root of almost all sins. Think about it. What's the first sin? What's the, who are the first people to sin? Adam and Eve, right? What did they do? They ate the fruit. Why? Because they wanted what they did not have. What they could not have. In fact, it says about Eve that she looked at the fruit and it was pleasing to her eye. That want flew by and she let it settle. A king we'll talk about next week. David, the most popular king. probably the most popular king. David had a major problem in his life, right? Committed adultery. Had the husband killed. Ended up in a civil war with his family. Ended up one of his sons trying to take over the throne and dying in the midst of that. But if you look back and trace it to its root, what you find at the root is David looked and coveted after Bathsheba. Well, why is it such a big deal? What's the problem? Why is it such a big deal? Well, first of all, it's basically looking at the Lord and saying, what you have given me is not good enough. 
What you have for me is not enough. You are not enough, Lord. What you have blessed me with is not enough. I need more. Have you ever been, have you, any parents out here ever bought a gift for your child or bought, maybe your grandparent, you bought a gift for your grandchild and you were so excited and you gave it to them and they opened it up and you could tell immediately they were less than pleased with the gift they had received. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not going to admit my child here. Just let them grow up. Yes, you have. In the Jet House, there's this this great story. Every Christmas gets brought up about one of the nep- one of my nephews, one of the grandchildren, that one year is ripping open. He's like ten or eleven. He's ripping open the box and he gets the box open. And as he gets open the box, the box is full of clothes. And he picks it up and he goes, "Clothes!" Throws them away. Where are the toys? Right. Coveting is basically looking at God and saying, that's a nice gift, God. I need something else. It's also destructive to you. Now, most of you in this room are on Facebook, Twitter, some kind of social media. And studies have shown the longer you are on those sites, the less happy you are. You know why? Because you get Envious, covetous of everything that's happened. Oh, I can't believe they're in Disney World again. Oh my goodness, look at what they're doing. I didn't even know that was going on. How fun is that? And what we're doing, we're sitting here at the house. Well, why we ought to be out having fun. Everybody in the world's having fun today. Because you know what people don't put on Facebook? Just had to send two of my kids to bed because they were arguing with each other and yelling. Now, some people do, but we don't, we don't want to watch, we don't want to listen to all that complaining on Facebook, you know? And so we compare our lives to the made-up lives of everyone on social media and somehow think that our lives are less than the made-up lives that are going on on social media and we get sad and depressed about it. We covet. All right, let's look how the story kind of ends. All right. So he looks over there, he wants it, and he says, i got to get it. So he goes to the guy, and Naboth says to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now let me... Break that down for you for just a second. I mean, that looks like it's my dad's. I don't want you to have it. But that's not what he's saying. You you see, Naboth is looking back and saying, Ahab, do you remember several generations ago that our people, the Israelites, came into this land and we came here under the direction of God and we settled here in the promised land like God had told us. And when we got here to the promised land, God divided through our leadership all of the areas into different sands. And my dad's dad's dad was given this spot of land and told this is a gift from the Lord to To your family, take care of it, be good stewards of it. Do not do anything with it except give it the attention it needs under the Lord's command. And so he says to him, he basically pulls the God card on Ahab. I cannot give it to you because God has given it to me and God is not allowing me to give it to you. Now, some of you have had the God card played on you before. I'm sorry, God told me something else. And he looks at him and says, I can't. Now, at this point, the story should have ended with Ahab going, thank you, Naboth. We'll find another way to put my vegetable garden near. But here's what happens in verse four. Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. In fact, vexed and sullen are these pictures of words where he is just mad. He is steaming 
mad. He doesn't want anything to do with him. It is the kind of thing he is slamming doors. He is running through the house. Anybody that says something to him, hey, you're having a good day. Get away from me. I don't want to see you right now. I am going. I'm on a mission. I'm mad about this. I'm vexed about it. In fact, in verse five, it tells us that he lay down on his bed, turned his face to the wall and would not eat anything. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? How many of you parents have had that happen to you with the Amen. We only have about three times a day. All right. Doesn't this sound like a like a four year old here? I'm tired of it. I'm going. I'm laying on my bed. I'm putting my hand in the pillow. I'm not going to see anybody. Talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm done with it. You want? I don't want supper. I'm not hungry. This is the king of Israel. Throwing a temper tantrum about a vineyard, a vegetable garden that he wanted to plant. You know who's going to make this better, don't you? Oh, Jezebel. She hears from the servants that your king husband's laying on the bed with his face to the wall and he won't eat a thing. So in verse 5, it tells us, Jezebel came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he goes through the story with her because I wanted this vineyard. And Naboth the Jezreelite said, I went to him. I gave him a fair offer. I said, give me your, mo- your vineyard or money or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard. I was very nice to him. And he looked at me and he went, I will not give you my vineyard. You know, that's how he said it, right? He's being unreasonable. He's not even talking to me. He said something about God not letting him do this. It's the most ridiculous thing. I'm just not going to eat. I'm done with it. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? The problem with coveting is this. It takes small issues and makes them gigantic. And what you covet, you crown. Now, here's what I mean by that. What you covet... You place as important in your life to the point it becomes the driving force and it involves your emotions, it involves your understandings, it involves your intentions, your attitudes, your thoughts. Everything about you becomes wrapped up in this. This is the king of Israel. He's got palaces. He's got summer homes. He's got a grand palace where he lives and he is mad as can be about a little vineyard of a guy that's next to him. And it becomes the driving force of his life. And here's what happens. It impacts your thoughts. It impacts your life. And then it impacts your actions. Jezebel says to him, you're the king Get up out of that bed. Quit it this moment. I will get the vineyard for you. And she does. She comes up with a plan and gives it to Ahab. And he says, that's a brilliant plan. This is her plan. They're going to have a little fasting thing. And they're going to have a little time where they are talking about fasting. And they're going to put... Naboth right in the middle and they're going to put two guys that they have paid off and that they've gotten to do their bidding right beside him. And those two guys are going to accuse Naboth of blaspheming God and take him out into the street and have him stoned. And that's what they do. And scripture says when Ahab hears that Naboth is dead, he rejoices and goes and takes the field. He got his vegetable 
garden. A couple of things. Almost every time you finally get what you covet, it doesn't live up to what you thought it would do. And secondly, following through with your actions toward what you covet will almost always bring unrecognized, unthought out consequences to your actions. It's the root here. It says covetous nature. And suddenly what he has coveted, he has crowned, and it begins to say that it is ruling his attention, his emotions, and his actions. And that's my question to you today. Like I said, I don't think any of you are going out of here and having a man killed because you can't get a vegetable garden. But we all deal with coveting. So what currently has your attention your emotions, and your actions. Let me ask you some questions that can help kind of think through that. What happens in your heart when they sell out of something that you really wanted? When someone else gets a job or a promotion that you had angled for? When you go to someone's house and you see their stuff and it's stuff that you don't have? What happens in your heart when One of your good friends, again, or another one of your friends, ends up in a relationship when you're still at home on Friday nights. When your friends all start to get engaged, and that's not even close to the horizon for you. When another of your friends tells you that they're pregnant. When you hear how other husbands treat their wives or how other wives treat their husbands. What disappoints you? What makes you angry? What is it in your life that always seems to elude you? Just be just barely out there. What is it that makes you sad? What do you want that nobody else knows that you want? What do you want that you don't want anybody else to know that you want? What do you want that you think, if I could just have that, it would make me happy? What rules your attention, your emotions, and your actions? Let's pray together.